Well, good morning. Great to see you guys this morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, please open up to Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you won't be able to open your phone up to this, but you can open an app or do whatever you need to do. We'll put some passages up on the screen as well. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do something that, that kind of illustrates a little bit of what we're talking about in the message last week and this week and the prioritizing of something that the Bible calls discipleship and disciple making. And we're going to learn about that today. But we're going to be going on a journey here from Romans chapter 1 and we're going we're gonna to leap to Romans chapter 12. And so if you've never read what's in between Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 12, um, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge for you to totally catch what happens when you get to Romans chapter 12, which is, which is why learning the Bible is so essential. Because many of us would jump to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 would be one of the most commonly memorized and applied scripture passages that many of us were introduced to. I got introduced to that passage when I was very young in the faith. Uh, I'd have to say I really didn't know much at all about what was between Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 12, but I got fast-tracked to Romans 12, and I was trying to put it on and live it and experience it. But uh, I'll kind of walk you back through that in just a moment. All right, so to connect this back to where we've been, right? we've been spending the opening of this year reorienting our lives around this thing called worship. And in our fast-paced busy lives, worship is being crowded out by many things. Sometimes what we have left over for God is observance of something, going through th- some motions. But when you read the Bible and, and you see what God is after, he's after a whole lot more than people who can sit in a chair, show up for a meeting, go through some kind of motions. The Father is seeking, right? The God who needs nothing is seeking something. He is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for hearts that have, that are reacting to what they've seen in his glory and beauty and wonder and treasure and value. And their hearts are responding to that. It's like their hearts have been arrested by that. And an appropriate response is filled with wonder and and affection and delight. God is looking for that. But the fact that God is looking for that means that there's an enemy out there who's looking to disrupt that. So the reason why we've started this year is to reorient our lives around worship because that's the crown jewel of our existence. What you and I will do in eternity. I, I have no doubt we're going to be taking in things And we're going to be still learning and seeing and knowing things for all eternity. God will never run out of stuff to talk to us about, reveal to us. But all that exists so that we might react to it. To see glory calls upon a reaction. Can I just say, if your reaction is dull, non-existent, really tempered, never gets out of control, you haven't seen much. You don't install some version that's not in the Bible of relating to God. When people, when people got around God and, and you, know, you had few moments, not everybody's around God exactly the same way, by the way, in the Bible. Some people get close to the electricity and it, it has quite an impact on them. They fall down. They have to get picked up. I mean, just like the energy just drains out of their bodies, man. I'm pretty sure there's some bedwetting going on. A little bit of, oh my gosh. What is this? And so if, if that's never our response, well, let's start with the idea that we have a seeing problem. We, we're not seeing some things, therefore we're not reacting to it. So I don't, I don't know what theology you come from. I don't know what denomination you, you, you were raised in. I think some denominational settings, and, and everybody go on notice here, let's not be a church that teaches people to behave in unbiblical ways in church. So some of you are like, yeah, we don't want to be one of those churches where people are barking and rolling on the floor and all that kind of weird stuff. Yet we don't want to be sitting there like dead tree stumps either. 
Because to just sit there unaffected means you haven't seen something. Because to see is to react. And if there's a lack of reaction, there's a lack of seeing going on. So there's a war in this world to keep us from seeing and to keep us from reacting. The world is in the grip of the devil. And so the warfare that's in our lives, it comes from three angles. It comes from the devil who orchestrates all things and he kind of puts it all together to rob God of worship. So it's all trying to do that one thing. So he's on the scene. The world is on the scene. That's where we were last week and we're going to be there again this week. And, and next week we'll look at our own flesh is on the scene of this warfare. So those three things need to be understood in this warfare. But let me say something carefully this morning. I'm taking longer than I wanted to, but let me just say something carefully. You know, we're talking about the world. Yet last week, and if you weren't here last week, please go back and have a listen to last week. We're talking about the world and our interaction with it. Let me just tell you right up front what I'm not trying to do. I'm, I'm not trying to install a Christian sort of disdain, bad attitude, curl your lip at everything that has to do with living in this world. Because there's a mandate on our lives by God that involves the world, right? You're not called as a creature that belongs to God to be so spiritual that you have no earthly attachments. You know, sometimes we sing songs that are weirdly like that, uh, We're supposed to have earthly attachments. We're supposed to influence this world. We're supposed to enjoy it. Now it's fallen, and so that's corrupted, but we're supposed to enjoy the world. Did you guys know there's lots of stuff to enjoy in the world? There's beauty in the world. There's artistry in the world that takes something of creation and works with it with the gifts and abilities God has given to turn it into something that makes you even go more. Wow. There's engineering in the world that makes us stare out at how did people come up with that? How they who invented that? There's music. Right? This strange thing that as soon as you start hearing it, it just sort of seeps in. It's like you don't process it like it's a math equation. It just kind of goes into you somehow, and you feel something, right? I mean, we just used music. There's people at Jazz Fest today. There, there's going to be food eaten today. Good food to be enjoyed. There's all kinds of things to enjoy. There's relationships in the world that mean something to us friendships and connections and support and laughter and care and showing up and, and getting married. And you know, that, that God's invented all these things that are, that are good and enjoyable in life. We're in this world to do good. Right? Well, you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to invent Christians who are, who are aware. And quite honestly, let me just point out this to you. If you're a younger person, I need to speak to you differently about the world than if you're an older person. An older person has a bit of a theology of the world. And sometimes I think we've responded to that poorly. I think sometimes we're just these sourpuss, can't enjoy anything kind of people because the world, oh, it's the world. And then if you're a younger person, you don't have enough of a theology of the world. And so you just sort of overindulge in way too much. So the church is in this weird moment right now to need to hear some of this. So the world is all these wonderful, incredible things that God created that are to be engaged by us and enjoyed. But what we said last week is absolutely true. The world is corrupt. It it has a cancer in it that is not getting along with the purpose of God. It seeks to do its own thing and it is touching every aspect of creation that it can possibly get around. It is corrupt. And so the Bible then turns around and says things like we looked at last week in 1 John, do not love the world or the things in the world. Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because what's in the world 
The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, right? This is what you're left with when you corrupt the fact that God designed everything to orient back to him, to take its cue from him, to be understood through the filter of of how did God put that in creation? How did God put me in creation? How did God put you in creation? And everything that I interpret, I interpret it by looking back to God. But corruption unplugs that and says... Hey, good luck interpreting that and good luck interpreting that and come up with an idea about that because it's not looking back to God. So it's corrupt. So when we get here in Romans, right? I'm going to start in Romans chapter one. If you start this pilgrimage in Romans chapter one and you go all the way to Romans chapter 12, here's what we're going to get introduced to today. There, there is this corruption, this cancerous corruption in the world. And Romans chapter 12, by the time you get there, it's going to unpack, if you will, the antidote. There's a lot said before you get to Romans chapter 12, right? So I'm just going to put one foot in Romans chapter 1 and the other foot in Romans chapter 12. And you guys will have to read the rest of Romans if you want to really fully get the rest of the story. So here's Romans chapter 1. We spent a lot of time here last week. I'll just remind us. Verse 25. There's a group out there called they. It's the world. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So immediately you see what happens when you mess with truth. Don't think for a second truth is up for grabs. I love, I love our title. If you saw the subtitle of our VBS, we're going to be living in this category, grateful that we are. If you mess with truth, you will relocate worship. Right? So we need truth to be what it is. They exchange truth for something else. It's called a lie. It's a substitute. Right? So a lie sounds like, oh, well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't exchange the truth for a lie. Well, how about this? Would you exchange the truth for a substitute? I might. Yeah, sometimes it happens. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, the same they who exchanged the truth, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That acknowledge is a weird kind of word in the Greek language. It, it, it could be translated since they didn't see it fit to have God in their knowledge. You could translate that word that way. They just got to a point where they said, you know, we can do life, but we don't need God in our knowledge. And we definitely don't need God dominating our knowledge like he's the center of it all. We don't need that. So since they didn't see fit for that, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So this exchange resulted in something happening to their mind. Right? You see that? When they exchange the centrality of God and the truth about God who explains everything to us, the once they did that, it's like a switch on their mind changed. And if you will, it's a switch that when it got turned, it broke the the knob off. And humanity can't turn it back. So every human being has a debased mind. So you get that? Right, so this is, does that mean I can't enjoy company with somebody and I, and I can't have a good meal because, the, you know, the, the chef who made this, he got a debased mind. And, you know, the person playing the guitar, he's got a debased mind. I can't enjoy anything. Be careful that you just don't get weird and be unbiblical. But be aware. Everybody you're interacting with, self-included, the switch got changed exchange God, we push God out of our knowledge or to the periphery at least. He's no longer the center of things. And the second you do that, everything your mind interacts with becomes wrong in a certain way. Even though it resembles stuff that used to be right, it's now wrong because God's not at the center of it anymore. That's the debased mind. So I wrote in your outline, exchanging the truth about God for something else and not having God in their knowledge is the launching pad for that last phrase, all manner of unrighteousness in their lives. Why are you and I watching the news every night, seeing what we're seeing? Well, this explains it, doesn't it? 
God created everything. Man exchanged his truth for another idea. And once you alienated God from the center of all that we know and do, the world now becomes all manner of unrighteousness. Right, so that's what brings us to Romans chapter 12. So in Romans chapter 1, you start this pilgrimage with the, the presentation of corruption. The gospel is introduced to us against chapter 1's presentation of the world and humanity is corrupt. And how would we ever get this right? Well, then you fast forward a little bit, get to chapter 3, and you get a presentation of the doctrine of justification, that God would find a way to make us right with him again, in spite of the fact that the, the switch is broken and we can't turn it back and we can't fix ourselves. But God would justify us anyway. And he would do something in Romans chapter six and seven and eight. He would give us a new life and that new life would, would give us power that we didn't have to put sin to death. So all that unrighteousness, God has done something in Romans to tell us, hey, you've got a new power that can change that. Oh, and by the way, Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, it's not because of you. It's because of me. It's because I made a sovereign decision to be gracious and merciful to you. And because I'm at work in your life this way, you, you have hope that your life can be different from the corruption that's in this world. Right? That's what you're bringing to Romans chapter 12 when you read this. I, Paul says... Appeal to you, therefore. Why, Paul? Well, because everything I just told you from chapter 1 all the way to this moment, from starting with corruption to wandering through all of God's remedy to corruption, I, therefore, appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do, next thought, next thought, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, your debased, switch-broken mind that infiltrates the world and is infiltrated by corruption. Be renewed. Here's the antidote. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, this is, this is radical. If you've read all of Romans, you know this is a radical statement right here. That by testing, you, you may actually discern what the will of God is. What is good and acceptable and perfect. If you read Romans chapter 1 carefully, to be able to say that about the people with debased minds is radical. Something happened between Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 12. I'll let you go back and read about it, but it's pretty important because it, it helps you understand who you are, right? So let me put this under the, under the banner of our minds, the world, and our worship. Our minds, the world, and our worship. And I'm going to read this to you. I'll put it in your outline. Remember, Romans 1, we began this doctrinal pilgrimage with a tragic exchange, the truth about God for a lie, and the suppression of truth. God said they suppress the truth. The ongoing condition of a debased mind resulting in misplaced worship. You want to know why we're tempted to put our worship somewhere else? That is why. And here in Romans 12, our spiritual worship is vitally connected to not being conformed to this world. You understand? The presentation of worship toward God immediately is followed by something having to do with the mind. Your mind needs to be renewed, not conformed any longer to this world. We're to be transformed. One more thought. Note, a huge change is introduced in verse 2. Humanity was once given over to a debased mind, resulting in all manner of unrighteousness, right? The condition of your mind will result in behaviors. Now, we can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, can, can I just tell you, you don't get to Romans chapter 12 by human evolution. Now listen, I, you know, I'm saying something, I don't, I don't want to skirt past some of this stuff because I have no doubt, you know, guys watching, guys in the church, who, who maybe, maybe you've never taken a systematic theology class. Maybe you've never heard of the doctrine of depravity. 
I'm serious. I don't say that jokingly at all. Maybe it just happened. You, just ha- you haven't been in a church that taught that, that made a big deal out of that. So you would be thinking that there's something inherently good in every person. And you just need to figure out how to tap into that. Which is, which is why we stand up things like education systems. You want to know why the world... If I if I'd started the message this way and ignored everything I was about to do, I could get some amens. If I'd started off by saying, you want to know why the world is in the shape that it's in? Because people are un- uneducated. And we need to do everything in our power to strengthen our school systems. You know, we need to strengthen the family. Uh, we need to elect some politicians who have these policies and these policies and these policies. I could get some amens in a bunch of churches today. And I would be ignoring the fact that, wait, wait, wait. There's this other playbook that explains that there's humanity exchanged the centrality and truth about God for a lie. And it worships anything and everything. And so you're saying if we just educate everybody, that'll go away? You do understand you're making people smarter in one sense, but you're educating a debased mind, a mind that has a condition described by Scripture as being corrupted. Is, is your education going to fix that? Great teachers in fifth grade, are they going to fix that? Better school systems, are, are, is that going to fix this? You know, so this is why the world gets away with substituting ulterior, uh, alternative saviors. Because it labels the problem something else. The problem is Romans 1. I need something so big. There's no school system out there. I can't pay enough in education to fix this part of me. Parents, stop thinking the school system is going to save your children. It will educate them. It will help them get a better job. And in America, they're going to be taught how to be greedy as all get out. So they'll take that education and their greediness and they'll go off and try and find a way to make all the money they can possibly make because that's the key to happiness, right? But if I read my Bible, I find that's kind of not the key to happiness. That's just an explanation of how I've misplaced worship. Well, why did you misplace worship? Well, because I didn't see fit to have God in my knowledge. God's not at the center of how I think. He's not at the center of what makes sense to me to pursue in life. So be careful we don't get swept away by the ideas of the world that are applauded and appreciated and applauded and appreciated. And oh my gosh, let's all panic over the next president of the United States. You do get the Bible never invites us to elect a savior. Do you get that? There's no electing the savior in the Bible. God graciously provides a savior. It's why Paul could turn in light of the mercies of God, let's do this. There's mercies of God that afford us something. And that's through Romans 1 all the way to Romans chapter 12. But what if I read Romans 1 through 12 about 18 years ago and never again? Because I've mean, I got a lot of stuff to thumb through each day. I don't have time to read Romans 1 through 12. That might be a big problem for us, Right? Because if I'm, I'm weak in Romans 1 through 12, the next time somebody stands up and says they're running for an office and they've got this idea and that idea and it touches this thing and it's going to help the family be the family. Listen, I mean, Christians like that one a lot. Okay, well, when we help the family get a better definition, will we have eradicated the debased mind? Will we? No. But listen, I'm all for helping the family have a better family. I'm, I'm for that. I hope we will do that. We haven't saved anybody. The corruption is still there. Right, so this corruption, I quoted this guy last week. This is, the, this is the problem with the world and its corruption. The world is a coercive force in the fallen world. That's why Paul immediately upon saying, hey, let's present ourselves to worship this God. And the next thing he says is do not be conformed to this world. Don't do it. Why, Paul, why do you got to say that? Well, because the world is like a vice. It's a pressure chamber. It is looking to put pressure on you to shape and mold you and force you to be a certain way. Right? Remember, this is Dr. Timothy Kripe. This great article on, on the nature of cancer, its corruption. He says, 
It's, it's titled Conquering the Biological Politics of Cancer. Three things that cancer does, three things I say the world does as well. Corruption, coercion, and collusion. He says cancer cells are corrupt compared to normal cells. Each time a cancer cell divides, it becomes more corrupt, finding new ways to grow and spread faster and better. And then it coerces. Cancer cells coerce other cells. They put pressure on other cells. They force other cells to get on board with cancerous agenda. This is why, this is why things grow in us. Because that cell's not happy just being by itself. It wants to force other cells to join it. And they're collusive. They collude with others. They find other resources. And they partner with them. Right? This is what sin has done in our world. It partners with all kinds of ideas that are out there. So it will take, it'll take a good idea and it will partner with it somehow. It'll take a bad idea and it'll partner with that too. And so this is the world that we live in. John Calvin said this about this term world. He said the term world has several significations, but there here in Romans 12, it means the sentiments and the morals of men to which not without cause, he forbids us to conform. I like that word sentiments. It's very helpful today. It's not just about ideas. It's about sentiments. Sentiments have a little bit of emotion in them, feelings in them. And I got to say this, in, in my years of pastoring and interacting with ideas that are in this world, something has happened in the last 10 years at a greater level than I'd noticed it happening before. The ideas that are out there now, it's like they're designed to sort of bypass the mind in some ways and run straight to the feelings. And all of a sudden, there's this, there's this sentiment piece that something feels a certain way before you've even thought it through. And so all around us today is this philosophy. You know, people need to be able to be who they are. And, and it's not right for you to tell somebody else that they need to be different than who they think they are. People should be, they should be able to do whatever they want to do in life. You know, as long as they're not hurting anybody else. That feels right, doesn't it? I mean, come on, be honest. We have been soaking in that and listening to that and putting it on like cologne for so long. It feels like, well, yeah. And then maybe Christianity comes along and stands up an idea that looks at that person's life and says, that's not okay. And that feels like, well, that's kind of none of your business, man. That person's got the right to do whatever it is that they want to do. I mean, the world has made that feel right before anybody's thought about it. But for the Christian, what is right has got everything to do with the God who created everything. So the God who created everything hardwired everything back into him. It all reports back to him. And so what makes it right is what he says about it. Not how I feel about it. But our world is rewiring us. So there's lots of sentiment. And we will be led to feel a certain way. And can I just warn you? I think some of the erosion in the faith of people, people you don't see in church anymore, people who once walked in the kingdom of God, they, they do not now. It's because of this. It's because they don't feel a certain way when they hear certain things. And, and, and they're actually, some of them are quite angry about it. Quite angry that the church says this because they feel like that's wrong. This has been carefully orchestrated because the world is corrupt. All right, so then you have Paul. Paul interacts in, an, in a unique way, warning us about the world, saying there's something to pay attention to every day of our lives because we're in this environment and there's things to avoid letting that gain influence in us. So Paul says this, and in the second part of this, everybody remembers. They don't remember what was preceding it. Remember, chapters and verses were not inspired, right? So human beings made it nice for us to be able to find our way around the scriptures real fast. But everybody knows, do not be unequally yoked. All right, I'm gonna get to that in just a second. But did you know what Paul was dealing with right before that moment? This is right before he says, hey, don't do that. This is what he says to the Corinthians. 
to the Corinthians, by the way, that Paul had lots of difficulties with. God had raised up an apostle to bring truth into the world. He was gifted. He was called by God. The Corinthians did not like him. The Corinthians resisted him. The Corinthians critiqued him. The Corinthians wanted to follow other leaders instead of following him. Right? But this is God's man. Right? You and I are still standing here now preaching from the words that God revealed through the Apostle Paul. This guy was appointed by God to bring grace into our lives in truth. But the Corinthians weren't open to that. Paul said to them, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to, I speak as children, widen your hearts also. What is he describing about them? Well, their affections were located somewhere else besides what Paul was emphasizing and teaching. Well, listen, where your affections are, that's where your worship is. If you give lip service to God over here, you got no affections in it, but your affections are over here. Can I just tell you, you're worshiping over here. You're just acknowledging over here. So Paul says, hey, somehow your affections got hijacked and it's created all kinds of conflict between me and you guys and how you receive things. Uh, and your hearts have become closed off to me. That's what Paul says to them. And then this is the next thing he says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? You know the imagery of that? Remember the, the oxen that were pulling things? They would yoke them together. They would, they would put this wooden bar across both of them to, to tie the oxen together so that they could team up and do something. And, and invariably, if you teamed up with something, you were strapped to it together where this guy's going, you're, you're gonna be influenced to go where he's going. And Paul says, hey, this is what's happening with you guys. This is what's hijacked your affections. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? Because that's the world. <coughs> the world that's corrupt. The world with a debased mind. The world that has said, I don't think we really need God at the center of all this. Don't be yoked with them. There's no way they can get it ultimately right. No way. If that's the condition that they're in. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Can you hear the us and them? Come on. Because I know that's not popular, right? This is kind of alienating. Yes, it is. And it's going to get more alienating. What accord has Christ with Belial, right? So the likeness of this partnership and like-mindedness, it, it draws from the ideas that is Jesus in cahoots with the devil? No. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, and this is why we are different than them. Does that still sound weird to you? There's a them here. There's an us and there's a them. And the us gets described this way. God says, I will make my dwelling among them, the people of God, and walk among them. Is, is God doing this with everybody on the planet? No, he's not. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So are there some people in the world that are not God's people? Listen, I'm not making this up. I just want you to see this when you read the Bible. That of the people of the world, God looks, and there are some that he says are my people. Children of God. Oh, I, I, we covered this last week. Wait, wait, I thought everybody was a child of God. No, no, no. Everybody is created by God, but a, a child of God has a harmonious relationship with the Father that God had to create because of our waywardness. 
So not everybody gets to inherit right standing and right relationship with God. God has a special people with an assignment. Therefore, verse 17, therefore, go out from their midst. This is a description of the world. Go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean things. When you and I do life in this world, that needs to be a bumper sticker. Not, not, not old school, let's so withdraw and and just form monasteries and go away from everybody and we don't enjoy anything. We don't affirm anything in this world. I don't even enjoy good food because somebody might misread that. Uh, can, Can we not be that weird? God invented spices. So if you eat something that's really good, don't act like, oh, this is worldly. (laughs) Go, mmm, oh, that's good. If you listen to Bach or whoever, somebody puts together a tune that makes you go, that's that's good. Don't be so weird as you're like, I can't say that's good because that would be worldly. Uh, Could you say the food was good? Yeah. Could you say that's pretty? Yeah. Listen, you can enjoy all kinds of things. That's not what this is about. But we have a purpose in this world that's unique, that's separate from the world. So you and I do life every day with an awareness. There's a separateness, separation from the world that is appropriate for me. Do I ever think about that? older you are, the more you have a theology of the world. The younger you are, the less you have a theology of the world. So if you're younger, you probably don't have many guardrails up. You don't look out at the world and say, I need to be careful about that. I don't know about it. Do I need to be separate from that? Do I need to not do that, think that, get around that, right? Their separation is separation. Am I yoked together? with something that I should be keeping at a distance? Am I partnering? Are my affections getting relocated? If there's anything, is my worship going somewhere else? That's the real concern here, right? And here's the benefit of this separateness unto God. Then God says, I I will welcome you. I'll be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Mighty. Now, if I read all of Paul's writings, or just a little bit of Paul's writings, I know what he's not saying in that last phrase is, then you will qualify for me to accept you and be your God. I know that's not what he's saying. So this is speaking of the experience that I get to have. As I live separated unto God, I get to experience God's welcome. God being a father and near to me and me getting to be his son. Are you getting to be his daughter? I get to experience that. That's what's in this passage here. So Paul says, hey, you know, there's there's some disruption going on. Your affections are in the wrong place. And, and it's like you've closed your heart off to the ministry that God's given me. Can I just tell you, if you're not careful, if your affections get relocated, to maintain them there, you will have to close your heart off to other things. If you want to keep your affections here, which means you want to kind of go after this and worship it, you will have to close your heart off to other things. And you'll find ways to do it. They found ways to disqualify things that Paul was saying, to find problems with what he was saying. They found problems with his presentation. You know, the dude writes a mean letter, but you ever hear him speak? Man, we, I, I know guys, I know some super apostles. If you read all the Corinthians, I know some super apostles that man, these guys gifted off the charts and they, and they were closing their heart up to Paul because they wanted something over here and they were opening their hearts up to some super apostles who were saying some things different. So you understand how worship and warfare are related Your heart travels to an address and it shuts down other things. And you'll find a reason. I mean, if you read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, read them carefully, you'll find a lot of conflict. 
a lot of it is Paul responding to accusations about him, things that they disagreed with. He didn't do this right. You, you should have done that, but you don't. Oh, we heard you said this. And that's a little bit what you hear in this verse when he says, hey, you know, you're not restricted by us. Well, what's that about? Well, we don't really know fully. But apparently there's something being said about Paul causing something wrong with them. And Paul's like, hey, I'm not the source of this. Your affections live at the wrong address and you have shut your heart off from other things. Right? This happens. You think about the things that you are easy, easy to criticize and you just make sure that what you're, what you're doing in that moment isn't getting its birthplace out of the fact that your affections are somewhere else, different than what you're hearing from that leader and you want to defend this over here and so you're going to close your heart off to that. Just be careful that's not what you're doing. Right? Know yourself in that category. All right, one thought here. i just close this thought out. Wrote in your outline. If your closest friends and your life allies, your buds, your peeps, are people who don't have Christ at the center, then it is almost guaranteed that your affections will get relocated and your heart will close up toward the things of God at some level. At some level. Choose your peeps carefully. Be aware whether your peeps have Christ at the center or not, or whether they've figured out a way to do life and to stick God on the edges, or to, they didn't see fit to have God in their knowledge. You're hanging out with people who never talk about God. God's never the priority for the decisions that they make, where they go, where they don't go, what they do and what they don't do, how they manage their money and their time. Never. God's never brought up. You never hear God discussed by them. Oh, those are the people you need to be careful about. Does that mean you can't talk to them? You can't relate to them? They can't be your friends? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means you recognize corruption is in this world. And if you're taking your cues and you've drifted from God, that group is going to reinforce your drift. You're going to feel normal. You don't ever talk about God anymore either. You can barely find your way to church anymore because you got so much going on in other categories. That, that starts to feel normal. And you've surrounded yourself with people who are doing exactly that. So it just gets reaffirmed. And next thing you know, your heart kind of gets choked off. And in a world like the information age, you're going to become vulnerable. to. I would say this, you'll become vulnerable to a real antagonism towards the kingdom of God. Because the world... And its corruption is driven by a devil who hates things about God. And he's making it feel that way. And so if you drift and you start to close your heart off so that you can stay at this address, you will become vulnerable to the worst of things. Right? What's, what begins with questions and things ends with deconstruction. Because you're just critical of everything. Can I just tell you when you, go to, when you go to mess with deconstruction, deconstructing your ideas, can I just save you some heartache? Uh, if you think you're not going to deconstruct your faith because you have figured out a way to answer every question you have, every one of them, can I just warn you? You will never answer every question you have. Can I humble all of us a little bit? We don't even know what the right questions to ask are. It's almost as though in our arrogance, we're like, hey, God, I got a couple more really stupid questions. Now, come on. I don't even know what good questions to ask you when we don't. When you break the switch off and it's stuck in debased mind, it doesn't think about the right stuff. It doesn't have the right questions to ask. So if you start feeling like, hey, I want to know why God does this and why God doesn't do that. And you're going to tell me, have, have you watched this? And there, if there was a God and, and, and your anger before God, who's more complicated than you could ever imagine. Right? I tell most people, it's like most people avoided, you know, there's a few of us in here who didn't avoid this because we're brave and courageous. We have degrees in science, like engineering, et cetera. So we took a class called calculus. The rest of you ran to the arts world because you were scared of that class. Let's be honest. I don't know how I passed calculus. I think I faked my way through it because there were lots of concepts in calculus. I was just kind of like, I have no idea how to do that. And I know you just tried to explain it. I still don't get it. There's tons of stuff. 
we don't get. Because we don't have the mental capacity to get God. But if you're not careful and you let your affections drift off over here, you will look back on truth about God with hostility and you will require it to sound a certain way to you or you won't return to it. That's a dangerous, terrible place to be. All right, let me fly through this thought. Here, in this setting, here's the antidote. Paul starts with the debased mind, and when you get to Romans chapter 12, he highlights the mind again. Renew your mind. At the center of discipleship is the renewal of the mind. It's at the center of corruption too, isn't it? When corruption shows up, Romans 1 is all over the mind, all over what it's thinking and its processes. Well, that's still an issue, right? So I'll put in your outline. I think this is something for us to live by. To out-disciple the world, we need to win the war to teach the human soul. Because that's where the warfare sits. And discipleship has at its core disciplined learning. That's what the word disciple is about, right? You remember this mandate, Matthew 28, 19? Go therefore and make disciples. That's the mandate. That's what we're doing. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's the mission of the church. Teaching, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Right? That word, these, both of these words that are here, the teaching word, the making disciples word, the learning word in language in the New Testament, it comes from these words, the word mathetio in the Greek. It comes from a word mathetes. And it means to become a pupil, to disciple. Go, go, and, go and make pupils. It means to enroll as a scholar. So in some way, Jesus could have given in and say, hey, my disciples, go into all the world and start schools. That's what they were to do. They were to go and get people to enroll in something where they would learn. That's what they were called to do. Go get people to enroll in something where they'll learn, right? That, it comes from this family of words, montheno. In the Greek, it means from the basic sense, I wrote this definition out in your outline. The basic sense to direct one's mind to something. Montheno comes to be used for, one, to accustom oneself to something, right? For it to get very deep and familiar to us, to experience it. It's not casual knowledge anymore. This is deep. To learn to know, to understand, to learn under instruction, and to receive direction from a deity by an oracle. In this one particular word, it means why? It is the thing that explains why we believe what we believe. Why we do what we do. Go and enroll students. Go and make disciples. Go and teach. Go and get people to learn something. Listen, you don't just come to Jesus because you don't want to go to hell. But if that's all you got, come on. But Jesus didn't just say that. Go and let people know they're forgiven by the work of the cross. As huge as that doctrine is, that's not what that says, is it? Go and teach them all that I commanded you. Definitely announce to them that the only way for you to have a relationship with God is through the person and work of Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and reconcile you to him. But upon reconciliation... Learn, start learning, be taught, receive truth. Why? Because the problem with humanity goes all the way back to the beginning when they exchanged the truth for something else. God's purpose means the truth needs to find its way back to us. It needs to renew our minds. And I am grateful for all the things that a, a church is to all of our lives. You know, there, there's a sense of family here and friendship. We belong. People who have been forgiven by God for horrible things should easily find it capable of fellowshipping with one another because they, I know what I've been forgiven of. So whatever you've done, I know what I've done. 
and, and you're in my life. And so there's this love and this connection and there's a cause. You actually come into the church and there's something to live for with our lives. And these things matter to us and all those things are true. But if you read the New Testament, do you know the feature thing the church is supposed to be doing? Making disciples, pupils, learners, people who just keep learning and learning and taking on more and more truth and understanding. So that when I get to Paul's explanation, Ephesians chapter four, my last passage here. Ephesians four, listen to the mind that is, is what God is going after in this passage. Paul says, now this I say, verse 17, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Why are people walking and doing life and making lifestyle choices the way they are? Because of the condition of their minds. Debased mind, futile mind, Paul says here. A mind that has rejected God as the center of all things. Now, any idea is possible. Any idea. Because I, I don't have anything to report back to. So that sounds convincing. That's an interesting book. I've never heard it put that way. This is trending. That's what's available to us. Explanations for life, explanations for behavior. They're not tethered to anything anymore. So they could be anything. Some of you guys who have ever been involved in counseling at any level, you've you've heard of the the DSM, the Psychological DSM, Diagnostics and Statistics Manual uh, of Mental Disorders. What's very interesting, it's been around since 1952. If you go back and read, you don't have to go back that far, quite honestly. That manual, which tries to teach everybody how to interact with human behavior, it has to put some labels on some of the human behavior. Some of the behaviors today that are being most applauded and most affirmed, not too many years ago, were called disorders in this book. They stared out at human beings who did this and this and this, thought this of themselves, this way, this way, this way, and they labeled that as a disorder. And today, it's not labeled a disorder anymore. Who says? Just because a book published an idea about human behavior, is that what says? Well, man who has dislodged God from being in their knowledge now has to make up their own script. So the, this is what the officials say. Yeah, but the same officials just published a book that said, no, that's not, we need to figure out how to treat that, how to help people who have that, who see themselves that way. And all of a sudden that's changed. Do you understand when your ideas report back to nothing, you can believe anything next year. How unsafe is that? They are, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They, there's no one of those they. This is a description of the world. And so I think I wrote this in your outline. No matter how intelligent, successful, creative, influential, or popular, the condition of man's mind is futile, darkened, alienated, and ignorant all based on the proximity of God to their knowledge. That's what determines the condition of one's knowledge. When you extract God from what you know, everything is now corrupted. Does that mean you're not smart and can't get a better ACT score than me? Uh, That's not too hard. You probably can, yeah. Does that mean you can't invent some product or run some company that makes you billions of dollars and you're the wealthiest person in the world? Yeah, but, but these labels still are there darkened, alienated from the life of ignorance, hardness of heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is the functioning mindset of the world. Calloused. Don't even know I'm doing this anymore. Don't even see how far I've drifted. Given over to sensuality. What used to be bad is really, really worse now, isn't it? Are we watching this play out? 
I had an idea. We'll make room for it. And what was like, oh, this rarely happens, commonly happens now all the time. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Look at what he sticks right in here. This is a world full of aberrant, distant behavior because minds are in a certain condition. But that's not how you learned. That's the word manthano. That's not how you became a pupil and enrolled in the school of Christ. That's not how you did. Assuming, verse 21, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, right? We go back to truth. We exchange the truth. We need to replace the truth in our minds. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, right? Learning in this passage, as in life, precedes lifestyle. Paul focuses on the fact that our minds need to be renewed so that we can put off this and put on this. If you want to get to lifestyle, you have to teach it something about God because it's learned to define life apart from him. So learning is pretty important. And then verse 25, Paul says, therefore, church, having put away falsehood, and I think that means more than don't be a bunch of liars, okay? Don't be wrapped up in the things that are false in this world. Having put away falsehood, let us, each one of you, speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So there, there, is, there is teaching here. What precedes this particular passage is uh, Ephesians 11, the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. But also here is we are members of one another. We teach each other the way in which we live, the things that we post, the things that we reinforce. Please, can you please, can you please stop applauding falsehood with your posts. People read it and it gets normalized in their thinking and they see bad ideas applauded by the people who sit in the pew next to you. This is a call. We need renewed minds. I'd appreciate the help. Paul says, "Hey, hey, we're members of one another. Stop putting falsehood in front of everybody. Stop using the ideas of a debased world that can't find God anywhere to be the center of why they do what they do and posting some goofy phrase that advertises that. And then the church turns around and reposts it. Can I, can I just embarrass you, please? There's this new thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called social media. It's become the way we communicate with each other. I am pretty sure... You will not say a lot to a lot of people today. You're with the church. You've gathered. You're not going to say a lot to them. But you're going to post all week long. You're going to say a lot to them then. Can everybody own this verse? Therefore, having put away, can you put away false ideas and speak the truth? Celebrate what God reveals. Put God at the center. Let his purpose invade the ideas that we put up online and we post and we applaud and we get jazzed about. Listen, I'm with you. I need to figure out what address to stick my affections at. All right? I'm a creature made by God to react to something and celebrate it and get all jazzed about it. That's what I'm created for. And I'm trying to figure out how to do that with you. Where do I put this? And when somebody comes along and advertises a God on the edge of the universe and this right here, this, this is where you locate your applause. I'm tempted to go right with you. And we tempt each other. Now listen, please remember what I said in the beginning. If you eat an awesome po' boy, by all means, enjoy it. But when it comes to the philosophy of life and the things that really matter, let us put away falsehood and let us speak the truth. But you know what comes before speaking the truth? This is really simple. Knowing the truth. A 
learning is critical to the Christian life. Critical. Jesus stares out at the brokenness of our world. He says, come to me. All you who are burdened and heavy laden. And you'll find rest for your souls. And he doesn't stop talking there though, right? Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn and learn. Manthano. Be a pupil enrolled in the school of Jesus. Learn of me. Take my yoke and learn of me and you will find rest for your souls. Can I just tell you, you can come to Jesus and be forgiven and not go to hell and struggle to find rest for your souls because we're educated in the world and ignorant of Jesus. So the massive responsibility of the church is is to be able to give and receive truth, to be a place where we, we stand up the truth of God and it commends our souls to seeing God in this world accurately. We need that. All right, so this message feels like a giant advertisement for dinner and discipleship, and it is. <laughs> it is an advertisement for the reality that you and I need to take serious the call to be students, to learn. And I know I've kind of hinted at some things. But you can get to Romans chapter 12, and if you do not have any idea, and you're sitting here today and you're going, yeah, you said Romans 3, I don't know what's in Romans 3. You said Romans 6, 7, and 8, I don't know what's in Romans 6, 7, and 8. You said Romans 9, 10, and 11, I don't know what's in that either. I'm just trying to make use of Romans 12. Ah! Now, if you're just new to Jesus and you've never picked the Bible up, totally get it. But if you've been around for a while and you're not tracking it's like we, we don't know some things deeply enough. We need to be accustomed to the ideas of God so that when the world comes and presents its ideas, we hear it quickly. We notice, ah, that's not right. That's debased. That's off. That excludes God's purpose in a way that, no, that's not okay. But we need to learn. We need to be private learners. We need to be gathered learners, but we need to learn. So can I pray for us this way? You guys can stand up with me. This is how we'll close today. If you had gone on this pilgrimage with the Apostle Paul, he would have begun it by saying, hey, like, I just need to tell you guys, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and of men who suppress the truth. And then he unpacks the gospel and he starts the unpacking of the gospel in Romans chapter one by saying, there is this corruption. It's all around you. It's in every person. It has derailed them. It has turned them into people who are not centered on God anymore. And it's resulted in this behavior and that behavior and this behavior and that behavior and that behavior, right? So the corruption of the mind leads to corrupt behavior. And he travels all the way through this incredible mercies of God, how God is going to fix that. And he lands in chapter 12. And he says what he just said earlier. I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, by all that he's done, to present yourselves to God as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual worship. He doesn't stop speaking. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's the first thing he says when he says, present yourself of great priority for whatever lifestyle you and I think we're going to live as Christians is learning. The first step to whatever that's supposed to look like is learning. I have to learn. And Paul says that present yourself to God to have your mind renewed. So can I, I just encourage everyone, I'm just going to give you a private moment with the Lord. You can put your head down just for a second. Just you and, you and the Lord have a conversation here just for a second. And I want you just to let the Lord, and if, it, if, if the presence of God and the Holy Spirit makes you feel convicted, that's biblical. Right? You're not going to hell because you're convicted. You're not being rejected by God. God convicts because there's something you're missing out on that he wants to have in your life. So receive conviction. Is God convicting you right now about your learning? Is God highlighting in your heart the absence 
of study, of intentionality to understand things that are in the Bible. God may have to lead you down a road to explain and show you why is that happening? Have your affections gone somewhere else and you are closing your heart off in some way to the things of God? Does that need to get addressed? God is at work in you. And if you belong to him, he is. The Bible says, God is at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So in you, right now, as you stand here this morning, is there something in you that wants to learn? I think that's absolutely true of every follower of Jesus. We want to learn. So can you just stop for a moment and just get in agreement with that, what's, what's in your own heart? Can you, just, can you just agree with God for a moment? Can you just agree and say, God, yes, I do want to learn. I do long to know more about you and what you've done and what you've said. I do want your truth to operate influentially in every moment of my life. I do want that, Lord. And Paul says, okay, then present yourselves to God as living sacrifices. Really cool word from the past of Christianity. Surrender. Surrender. So can you just do that, you know? Can you just react to something? Hey, bunch of, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Surrender. If you had to surrender, you'd probably lift your hands up, right? Hold them up and just say, okay, got nothing in my pockets. I'm totally not fighting for anything on my own, just lifting my hands up. I'm saying, okay, God, I surrender. I surrender this morning. I know I could let that flow into all kinds of things about my life that I've resisted you in, that I'm maybe practicing some things I shouldn't. But Lord, right now, this morning, This is about surrendering to learning. Surrendering my life for you to have access to my thoughts, my ideas, my convictions. Surrendering my life to become a student enrolled in the college of Jesus. To know him. To travel the pathway of learning and learning and learning so that I can find rest for my souls, which you've promised. So, Lord, I hope you see a a lot of hands here at Lakeview Christian Center. I don't see a lot of hands, quite honestly. Come on, if you can't lift your hands, I guarantee you won't lift your Bible. You won't pick up that big, thick, systematic theology. But come on, do something uncomfortable. Respond to God in a weird way. Say, God, I just surrender. That's who we want to be, Lord. We want to be a church in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation who has surrendered to the knowledge of you, Lord, who has our minds renewed daily on a regular basis. God, we know something about you that's rescuing us from this world. So, Lord, here we are, Lakeview Christian Center. Would you help us, not just in the weeks ahead, but in the months and years ahead, to be those who have not exchanged your truth for something else? And we worship and we serve the creator and not the creatures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You guys watching, we love you. Hope you're well. Hey guys, remember if you're a guest and would just like to get a chance to meet some of the team and the leadership, uh, make your way over. There's a little bit of refreshments available to you in the bookstore. We look forward to getting to say hello.